Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Adriana. And I'm Sophia. Hi, Sophia. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) We have an exciting topic today for us. We're going to talk about friendship. And this was really prompted after our recent and long-anticipated reunion with one another. Yes, finally, I was able to go visit Adriana, actually meet Pia, her second child, in person after two and a half years of separation. So it was a very blessed few days. And I don't know about you, but certainly has had me thinking with a great deal of gratitude about our friendship in particular, but just in general, these relationships that have endured the test of time, particularly in time of pandemic, when seeing each other face to face has been so rare. So yeah, and I think for me, one of the pieces of encouragement for this episode, in that thinking about it and thinking about friendship, theologically and philosophically, I guess, and through the lens of my own experience, and my reality, I came to a deeper appreciation for my friendship with you Mm. and like a deeper conviction of my need for these friendships in my life. Yes. And I think without that like intentionality of bringing this to prayer and deeper consideration, I could miss those opportunities and I could miss that need being made so present to me. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. It's been similar for me, a source of gratitude and then also reflection on my commitments going forward to my friends I agree. I think there's something really necessary about friendship that I've always hated this quote by C.S. Lewis from The Four Loves that people use to talk about friendship. This this idea that friendship isn't necessary, that it has like no survival value, I think is the exact quote. And I always take issue with that because, okay, maybe in like an evolutionary sense, human beings didn't need the capacity to create friendships with one another. But I think actually it is essential for us to become fully human. So not just human on the biological level, but for us to be able to discover the purpose of our life and adhere to that, I think friendship is actually the most essential kind of love. I think it's a love that, if it's true, is at the heart of every relationship that we have. And whether that's father-child, husband-wife, or you and me, it's the essential kind of love to be Mm. human. And so in reflecting on friendship, I too have become really aware that this is a priority in my life in the way that I structure my days and spend my money and uh, the things that I have been given should be ordered to this love. I don't know that Lewis quote in particular, but I was thinking as you were sharing the insights of it, we could have like gone on. I mean, we haven't seen each other in two and a half years till we saw each other this last December. Mm hmm. And we were surviving, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we were fine. And it almost didn't work out that we would be able to see each other. It's difficult to make the Boise and UK distance shrink. Yeah. But seeing one another, I think, renewed in my heart. And I, I suppose that speaks to the particularity of our friendship. Mm. But it renewed in my heart the commitment to make these efforts happen. Yeah. I think that gives insight, I suppose, to what Lewis is saying. Like it gives value to survival. Like Mm -hmm. otherwise life is just sort of meaningless without, JP2 says like life has no meaning without love. Mm -hmm. And I think you can, as you've suggested, substitute friendship. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it reminds me of an encounter I had with my friend who came over for dinner a couple of days ago. He's someone who 
I've accompanied really closely over the last couple of years through really big changes in his life, including now entering the seminary. And yet I've seen him in person probably once since the start of the pandemic. And when he came over and I opened the door, I was overwhelmed when I saw his face because we never FaceTime. And so I actually really haven't seen his face in forever. Mm -hmm. And I was just overwhelmed by this awareness of, oh, my gosh, this person is a mystery. This person is a mystery and not reducible to just these ideas that we talk about or these things that we have in common um, or the shared history that we have now that stretches back years And it filled my heart with, as you were saying about our time together in Boise, an awareness that while we could carry on with our long distance relationship, the fact of his presence in front of me was a gift, an undeniable testament to the presence of another, Mm -hmm. the mystery who was creating him, the mystery who has created our relationship. And that's not necessarily something that I always get when I'm just calling people on the phone. I don't have that same sort of impact with the irreducibility of the person in front of me, the fact that they don't need to exist. Our friendship doesn't need to exist. Um, It is a gift in that sense. Yeah, what you're saying makes me think of just like a clarification because our episode, what we're inviting our listeners to is a certain quality or type of friendship that has a depth. Yeah. There's different types of friendship. Aristotle has three types of friendship that he names that I think are Mm -hmm. helpful. I don't know if you're familiar with those. The friendship of pleasure, friendship of utility, and then a friendship of virtue. Mm -hmm. And of course, Aristotle is speaking from a pagan era. But what I see in my friendship with you and the friendships that I like recognize I need to maintain for my person to develop are really the friendships of virtue. Mm -hmm. So friendship of pleasure would be we both enjoy being together and we might derive some kind of pleasure from activities that we do together, but it doesn't really stretch beyond that. And then friendship of utility would be we benefit from accompanying each other. Like there's some kind of usefulness that you have for my life and I might have for yours. But then friendship of virtue would be what exactly? Well, virtue... The classic definition is like the habitual disposition towards the good. Mm-hmm. Aquinas uses habitus, like it's like in your soul, this desire for goodness. Mm-hmm. And a friendship of virtue, I think, is a mutuality, a recognition of the objective good that goes beyond the person in front of you and a walking towards that together. Yes. Yes, willing the good of the other, which I think is the formulation that St. Thomas uses obviously echoing Aristotle in in his Summa, that this is the truth of friendship. And I don't know, to me, it's a weighty demand that disrupts my typical notions of what keeps me and my friends together. Like, I think on the level of instinct, I always think, well, we have so much in common, or this person really helps me with X, Y, Z, and I'm always really happy when I'm with this person or whatever it is. This person knows everything about me from when I was a baby. Like none of those things are constitutive of friendship. And actually none of them are criteria for friendship. I can have friendship with someone with whom I share next to nothing. And I think that's very different from the way that our common culture understands friendship and instinctively how I in the past have approached people. But at the same time, looking at my experience, I can't deny that this is true, that the people who 
as you said, I have recognized as most essential for my heart who have shown in the way that they live that they will my good and so have taught me to will theirs as well. Yeah, and I think they're not mutually exclusive terms. Like friendship of virtue often brings pleasure and also can bring utility. Yeah. But that we need friendships of virtue and so often we can settle just for friendships of utility or I think for me personally my experience more often friendships of enjoyment Mm -hmm. so much of my undergrad or like my friends that I would go out drinking with or we just really enjoyed each other's company and they were really funny and I don't look back at all of those memories with disdain Mm -hmm. but I also have experience that they didn't last the test of time yeah and the relationships that endure are the ones that I can really offer all of myself and that has to be ordered towards something otherwise I think it's just kind of total chaos yes and I don't want to give all of myself and have the response be like well you do you you just do what makes you happy yes I want to be challenged I want to be ordered towards the good I want someone to like give me an honest perspective within reality. And I think we're so afraid of that friendship. What you're saying reminds me of Luigi Giussani's definition of friendship, or at least what he says friendship is in its minimal state, which gets to sort of this tall order of what the love that's asked of us is. But he says friendship in its minimal state is the encounter of one person with another person whose destiny he or she desires more than his or her own life. So to be your friend... Minimally, I have to love your destiny more than I desire my own life. And then you reciprocate this, and that's friendship. And as I've been pondering this quote, as you were saying about not wanting a friendship where you're embraced uncritically, I've been thinking about what that entails, the love of the destiny of another. And in conversation with another friend of mine, what sort of emerged was this vision of friendship as a paradox that Friendship is the place where you can go and you are unconditionally embraced for exactly who you are, no matter your flaws, no matter your difficulty, no matter your history. But at the same time, you are called to conversion, that you are called to become more truly yourself. So there's this tension that if it falls to either one side, it's a distortion of that love. So if it falls to just the unconditional embrace, as you were implying, this isn't love. This You don't have the freedom to correct the other person. You don't take the other person seriously enough. You don't love them enough to desire their good. Um, or conversely, to allow yourself to be corrected and brought to the good. But at the same time, it's not just the call to conversion, right? It's not sort of this self-flagellating, mm-hmm. I just need to be better, I need to do better, it reminds me of what, something that happened while I was visiting you in Boise, just your patience with uh, one of your children who was exhibiting some kind of anger at the moment. <laughs> the patience with which you responded was so beautiful and so freely offered. You didn't have to respond that way that I, my breath was taken away. And I honestly, in that moment, just offered a prayer of like, thank you, Lord, for having made Adriana this way, because the way that she responded to her child is something that I desire for myself. And so reawaken me, like show me again the path that you have led her down so that I can follow it too, um, because I want to be able to love people this way. And yeah, for me, that was a moment of true friendship between us because you weren't preaching to me about patience, but at the same time, 
I wasn't upbraiding myself for not having this virtue that I saw in you. But I was just able to look at you and receive your witness as a gift from the mystery and as something that we didn't need to have like a big discourse about it, but something that for me was a moment of remembering the ideal of my own life. That's really moving. And as you know very well, Sophia, we often talk about my lack of patience. So I'm grateful that that could be witnessed in a very flawed (laughs) way. (laughs) I love that quote from Father Giussani and your language of paradox because I've similarly been thinking about like what's the difference between what Aristotle offers in a friendship of virtue and what Giussani invites or Christ invites us Mm. into the depth that's provided for a Christian friendship of like really valuing this destiny and part of what I've been thinking about is that Aristotle would say that a friendship of virtue leads to happiness. Virtue leads to happiness. Mm-hmm. And we know from our own experience that that's not always true. Mm-hmm. I think this won't be a full answer, but one thing I've been thinking of is the aspect of suffering involved in friendship and the suffering that's involved willingly in Christian friendship. I think suffering is meaningless without Christ, but with Christ, it can be transformed into something so beautiful. Yeah. And friendship is this ground to really practice Christian love Mm -hmm. because you remain committed to the other person's destiny, you know, despite Mm -hmm. your own sinfulness and despite the sinfulness of the other. And you're willing to, to go back to my, what I was saying previously, like be offensive or be offended for the sake of the friendship and the sake of the love of the destiny that you know the other person. Yeah desires for you and you also desire for them and for yourself, that it allows you and demands of you to stay in the friendship and practice love amidst periodic and certain suffering. And I think that's so true in marriage, but also really in friendship. And it's more voluntary in friendship. And I think therefore there's a greater opportunity for growth and virtue. Mm. I could more easily like leave my friendship with you than I could end my marriage. Right. Especially if I was going through a hard time or something like that. It would be very easy for you to just cut ties until I was feeling better. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's just like a real opportunity for growth when we're willing to maintain a friendship. Even, you know, if another person starts to like fall away from the faith or... yeah not live in a way that makes it seem like they really desire our destiny, like not live as a true friend. Yes, even the experience of betrayal as Christ himself modeled for us. That's a very provocative point. And it makes me think about, first, I would just establish that the circumstances in which this kind of thing unfolds are very concrete and ordinary. I mean, it can be the fact that a friend who's ill can get you ill or a friend with a toddler. Sometimes you go visit her and you can't have the kinds of conversations you used to or just the fact of needing to be vulnerable with your own experience and making the sacrifice mm-hmm. of exposing your weakness and your imperfection to the other person. So these really concrete sacrifices are the suffering that you're talking about. And you're right, while they would be meaningless without Christ in the context of a friendship that is oriented towards him as our final good, 
they can become a source of joy. So while we might not feel the affective happiness that instinctively we might associate with friendship, the freedom that comes from, you know, bringing soup to a sick friend or listening patiently to a friend who's endured another breakup um, or whatever it is, is a source of joy precisely because it's a reminder of the mercy of God and the embrace that waits for each of us through the friendships that we experience here below. There's nothing that more directly sustains my journey of conversion than Mm -hmm. that kind of love. Yes, because it's through the other that Christ comes to us, like through our material reality that he makes himself known. Yeah. And precisely in relationship where we can see his face. I do, we've talked a lot about C.S. Lewis, but I like that quote he has that like, if we really saw the human person as someone like made in the image and likeness of God, we'd be tempted to worship them because of their glory. Mm -hmm. But we don't see one another that way. Yeah, it's true. And every human heart, like this is the promise of friendship is that it's not just, as I mentioned before, someone with whom you share a lot of things in common, but literally every person that you get to know, your hairdresser, your spouse, your coworkers, everyone can be someone that you love in this way. And so implicit in that, obviously, is the recognition that while we've talked about the beauty of companionship with people who are explicitly oriented towards Christ, Implicit in that is the recognition that you don't have to just have friendships of virtue with Christians. You know, it can be someone who is seeking Christ as beauty or as justice or as truth. These can also be people who will reawaken us Mm -hmm. to our own thirst for God and his own presence among us. Um, I think of Muslim and agnostic friends that I had in undergrad. And, you know, Jusani had this amazing and famous friendship with Buddhist monks in Japan. And because they were so taken by the beauty of reality that for Jusani, it was a source of an encounter with the mystery Mm. to be with them. So there's no cause for scandal because it can be someone who on the surface seems entirely different. And yet because the human desire for Christ is universal and objective, you can trust their heart. Having encountered and being certain in your own love of God, you can trust the hearts of other people that they are seeking him too and that they can be the means through which he enters your life too. And so there's a beautiful openness to others and to reality that comes from authentic experiences of friendship. Yeah, I think that Christian friendship certainly changes the way that you love another person and it invites them into that depth. And I think the radicality of the willingness to suffer for the other that Christ models for us and also gives to us is something you won't find anywhere else. At Mm. least that's my experience. We can love everyone with that type of love. But I also think it's important that we do have true friendship with those where that's reciprocated. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Definitely. I think the aspect of reciprocity is really important. Um, I guess the way that I've been thinking about this lately is the call to be friends with Christ. In praying with it, I've been struck by precisely this, the invitation to be a friend to him in return. I mean, I think I see so easily and so readily in my daily life evidence of his great friendship to me, his dying on the cross, his the intimacy of the love that he shows me in prayer, the way that he provides for me, as you mentioned, human friends here below to communicate his love. I can't breathe without having evidence of his friendship to me. And I've been so convicted by this sense of neglect of my own 
desire to be a friend to him in return. Friendship longs for reciprocity because friendship longs for union. And so it's been challenging to think about what it looks like in my daily life to return that love. And certainly, you know, some of it is being faithful to daily prayer and being faithful to these small sacrifices that I make for him as a way of remaining at the foot of the cross. And, you know, whether that's caring for someone who's in need or fasting or whatever, it's really small. But being faithful to him, being a faithful friend to him in the small sufferings of daily life to me seems like a really important way to be reciprocating the love that he pours out to me so freely. I don't know if you have additional thoughts on what it looks like to be a good friend to Jesus. It sounds like a trite phrase, but as we've talked about friendship, friendship as embracing the need of the other, friendship as companionship to destiny, like this is the highest love that Christ shows us. He accompanies us to our destiny so profoundly that he actually accomplishes it. He accomplishes this salvation on the cross. So yeah, so I don't know if you have additional thoughts on reciprocity in that context. Well, my initial thoughts are that I think I'm not appropriately astonished by Christ's invitation to friendship. Mm. My husband and I, after some of your encouragement actually, started doing a Bible in a year together on January 1st. Mm. And yesterday was Proverbs 1. And the very first thing it says in Proverbs is that the appropriate disposition needed is a fear of God. Mm -hmm. And that goes along with friendship, but perhaps... If I had only received fear of God, I wouldn't have thought that God would want to be my friend. Mm. And I wonder if even the early disciples were surprised, like a servant, sure, a disciple, sure, but friend. Mm -hmm. And so much so that like Christ says, I no longer call you servants yeah, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. And I've called you friends because everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Through friendship with Christ, everything that was made known to Christ is available for us. Yeah. And when I read it again in preparation for this podcast, I guess I'm just astonished. <laughs> How is this possible for someone as lowly as me? So I guess that's one of my initial reactions. My other thought, which goes back to what we said about suffering, is that I think there is a direct correlation between the depth of friendship we allow with another person and even if it's just one other person, Mm -hmm. but at least another person that perhaps we're willing to allow to God. Mm. I do think that there's a deeper virginity with God and a deeper openness present than even your own spouse sees. Mm -hmm. But if you are the type of person that can't think of any friendships that kind of meet a true friendship, then it's possible that you're missing a training ground in which you can really expose your truest self to Christ yeah. and really make, as he has said, I've made everything I've learned from my father made known to you. Mm-hmm. Do you make everything of yourself made known to him? Mm-hmm. We see that in the first chapters of Genesis where God asks Adam, where are you? And he says, I hid from you. And to contrast that with heaven being the unveiled vision of God, knowing one another perfectly because we are known by and know him fully. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess in some, I'd say true Christian friendship helps us develop friendship with God and helps us recognize either from what the other gives themselves and we carry or what we share and we see them carry, how much more Christ desires. Yes. 
What a beautiful and hopeful statement. I think I used to get, I mean, let me back up and say that for a long time, I lived throughout much of my childhood and adolescence in this intense state of loneliness and this awareness of my desire for intimacy with other people, people who could know the depths of my heart and my interior life and that it wasn't realized. I was not accompanied in this way. I wasn't, and obviously some of that is just when you're a child, the turbulence and sort of inscrutability of your interior life makes it hard to communicate that. And so even if you do have people, there is kind of a lack of of mutual understanding. But when I was able then to, honestly, after years of begging for this to happen, when I was able to discover my sophomore year of college, a whole set of friends with whom I could have this experience that you're describing, you being one of them, Adriana, I received it as the greatest joy of my life to be able to get to know the inner life of another person, to see how they experienced the world and how they searched for Christ and to hear from their own mouth an articulation of what my inner life was and my experience. I think I became afraid of that as if my love of my friends could compete with the love that should be reserved for God. And obviously, while, you know, boundaries of emotional intimacy are important, and as you said, there's something in our hearts that only God will know. And so discretion with that is very important. But it's also true that, no, like my love of you, the intensity of it is not in competition with my love of Christ. On the contrary, Mm -hmm. it is a means and vehicle and manifestation of my love of God, a possibility because Christ became flesh He became one of us and he continues to dwell in our midst. When I love you and receive all that you share with me and share with you in turn, that is love of God. And that is God's love reaching me. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for this because I think instinctively I'm a dualist and I want to separate God from everything in my life, including my friends. And if I didn't have this education of what friendship is from the people who love me, from the liturgy, from Christian thinkers that I read, I think I would shy away from this intense intimacy that God has given me with these beautiful friends, which is one of the greatest gifts of my life. So, Yeah, I think for me, like the temptation of a perfectionist is always to control and control every situation. And friendships and other people are messy so it's much easier to like remain in isolation the ideal contemplative state (laughs) yeah when christ is actually calling us out to you know the streets yeah i have a question though that said like even being in the streets we are called to purity this line from the rule of saint benedict always haunts me it's Uh, Do not put anything before the love of Christ. And I think it is possible Mm -hmm. in friendships often to put your pleasure or your comfort or your human love of the other person before love of Christ. And that can be through whatever, accommodating your mutual vice, whether that's complaining or gossip, or that could be allowing your habits to draw the other person away from family or whatever it is. It can take any number of forms, but What have you found to be helpful in cultivating purity of heart in your friendships, whether that be with people you're really close to or people you're just starting to get to know? I think this question can be really varied in its response because it's only made manifest in our reality and what's true for me. So I want to say that like might not be true for another person. Mm -hmm. When I was discerning marriage, for me, it became really clear that I needed very deep, intentional Christian conversation in order to be revitalized and also like stay on the road Mm. in a way that I've seen 
witness before me that others might not need. But I could see that and I could see it in spiritual direction. And so I became like much more intentional about who I was dating. And yeah. and I think Christ responded to that by like bringing me Brian, mm-hmm. who was fresh out of seminary. And mm-hmm. so that's one thing I think of like how purity of heart makes itself known to me. I also think that self-possession is really important. Mm-hmm. And in our culture now, obviously, people can come into undergraduate university really self-possessed. I wasn't one of them. I think I saw undergraduate as like my opportunity to get to know myself. It was like my first time out of the home, as it is for many of us. And I treated it as like self-identity exploration, much to my detriment. Mm. So I don't think I developed a real self-possession and a knowing of self until my mid-20s. Developing that self-possession enabled me to practice a purity of heart because I was comfortable with myself and comfortable with my values, comfortable with the demands that they required. Mm -hmm. And that comfort allowed me to be willing to make those demands be a burden for the other in friendship. Whereas before, I think I would so easily drop Mm. what I wanted or what I thought was right for the sake of the pleasure of that moment and the enjoyment with the other. Mm -hmm. And I would lose myself in the process. And those choices really shaped me negatively. Yeah, Developing a self-possession helped me to realize my own boundaries and be really comfortable with how that would burden another person. For example, I think even of like when you visited, you have a routine of going to daily mass. And that was something that you made known to me on visiting and... We made that, you know, happen, woke the kids up early so that we could go to daily mass together. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. I mean, it's so nice to be able to go with another adult to hold another child. But you were really comfortable sharing that with me, mm-hmm. even knowing like that it required, I guess, extra effort. Yeah, that's interesting because I think it helps me understand more deeply what for me is a continual source of renewed purity of heart in my relationships, which is always going back to loving my own destiny. Because if I'm meant to love your destiny, love your neighbor as yourself, like I need to know how to love my own. And as you said about your own journey of college and thereafter, that means getting to know the needs of your heart and Mm -hmm. continually striving to find an answer to them. And once you have found an answer, being faithful to that. Only this own journey of conversion and of falling more deeply in love with Christ can then enable me to receive the gift of friendship with another person freely and not worry about burdening them with my needs because I understand that the answer to my own heart is also the answer to theirs. I'm not the one that's going to answer their needs. Mm -hmm. Um, But together we can be on a journey of following the one who will. Yeah, I really appreciate what you said about like being educated to the needs of your own heart because I wouldn't want a listener to hear my experience and think like, oh, well, my my life is different than that or my partner is different and compare Mm -hmm. because I think Christ meets us very particularly in our circumstances Mm -hmm. because of that, being educated to the needs of our own heart are so important and being willing to respond truthfully to what we find. And I think we're so afraid of the burdens that that brings, of our own burden. Yeah. And I don't know that that was always true, but I see that in myself and I see it so much in today's culture. Yeah. I think the need for friendship is actually 
one of those things that we should attend to in our heart. And this may sound obvious, but I don't want to take for granted that we do the work of understanding our loneliness and understanding our loneliness when we don't have friends around as a sign that we're made for love and made for companionship to our destiny by real physical concrete people in our daily lives. I know I in the past and loved ones now struggle a lot with loneliness and with waiting for God to give them friends. And so I wonder if you have recommendations for people to live this loneliness fruitfully and with, I guess I would say, simplicity of heart rather than settling for less, just friendships of utility or pleasure or just abdicating and saying that, oh yeah, well, I guess it's never going to happen. I won't find someone with whom I can have this experience that you were describing of of sharing my inner life. Yeah, this is actually very relevant for me because when we moved to Boise, we didn't know anyone. And I also transitioned to being a stay-at-home mom yeah. and COVID descended upon us. So it became a yes. more difficult environment for making new friends. One and I think this is really important. I made it my daily prayer. I asked God to bring me a friend. Mm-hmm. And of course, I had friends that I could call by phone. But I do think it's really important that we have a friend in our geographic area. Exactly what you were saying about mm-hmm. your friend who you saw and seeing his face and beholding the mystery of him. I think that's so important. Yeah. So if you've just moved somewhere new or mm-hmm. you feel like you don't have a true friend in your area, I would pray for that. Secondly, I don't know if this is specific to me, but I am very social, but shy in new social situations. And I struggle to be the first one to go up to someone. Mm -hmm. And a priest at mass recently, the reading was about putting on Christ and his whole homily was about pretending. And he said he likes to think of putting on Christ as pretending. Like, this is very difficult to do, to put on Christ. Mm. So just start doing little things where you're pretending, and that will change your person. Mm. And immediately during his homily, I thought about this couple that was a couple of rows behind us that had little kids and looked really friendly and like someone I would like to meet, and how hard that would be for me to say hi. And I thought, I'm struggle to be outgoing in these new social situations. So I'm going to pretend like I'm outgoing. Mm -hmm. And after mass, I went up and said hi and talked to them about how cute their babies were. Mm. And I told Brian when we got in the car, like, I was just pretending to be outgoing. And it wasn't so bad, you know, like, (laughs) whatever my fears of that bring on the shyness, like didn't come to fruition in that moment. Yes. Um, So I guess those would be my two small recommendations. What about you. I love those. I'm really provoked by the pretending as putting on Christ. I think that's true. And it makes a lot of sense also with respect to how our brain works and how it changes. I think I might just add one small point about accepting the seasonality of relationships and the seasonality of life. Um, And I think we might talk about this further on a future episode of ours, but just the challenge you face today of loneliness is the challenge just of today and and accepting that cross with simplicity, as you said, in the hopes that God will answer your loneliness, but not bemoaning relationships that are no longer present um, or wishing that you lived in a different reality, but really having your eyes open to the people that you pass today, um, because that's how God will answer Mm. your loneliness. Yeah, I don't know. I had an experience with a friend who I was accompanying last year who I met during the pandemic because she was extremely lonely. And she made that need known to me in the very first conversation we ever had. And because 
she was looking in her daily reality. I literally lived in the same house as her for a time. That friendship was a very powerful way through which the mystery entered my life. And so mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for her simplicity of heart. I guess I just want to conclude here with by reading our listeners a quote, because as I was praying about my friendships, including friendships that I've made through this podcast, I was reminded of a quote from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians that every time I hear it at mass or read it in the office just fills me with gratitude for the companionship Christ has generated in my own life. Let's hear it. So St. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. God is my witness how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Mm, Thank you. I love that line. I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Yes, it's true. Thank God. Do you want to give us a media recommendation? Yes. Our media recommendation is one of my favorite series, Band of Brothers. It's on HBO. Nice. Have you seen this series? No, I haven't, but you and Brian have (laughs) told me about it. I chose it because I think it speaks to something that we've said a lot about friendship, about being oriented around a common mission, Mm -hmm. which the soldiers of Easy Company experience in Band of Brothers. They have this mission that's beyond them, Mm -hmm. but that unites them in this friendship that has a depth, I think, beyond like what we often experience in our daily lives, unless we're living really like as Jusani invites us to. Christ invites us mm-hmm. to, but that is often very challenging. They are thrown into this in Easy Company, and it's a great series. You should watch it. Nice. Thank you. Do you have the weekly challenge for us, Sophia? I would invite our listeners this week to meet up with a friend. It can be someone you've literally just met or your best friend, or as we've mentioned, even someone in your family. Take them out for coffee or go on a walk and ask about their life not with a particular agenda already in mind of what you want the conversation to be, but really just with openness to their own experience out of a recognition that you belong to each other and what God is doing in their life is actually something that he's also doing in yours. Yes, I love that. Well, we are so happy to be back for season three. All of our standard reminders apply, so you can find us on our website at www.pilgrimsfullpodcast.com. We also have our pilgrimsfullpodcast at gmail.com address if you would like to write to us with any questions, comments, or critiques if you are a big fan of that C.S. Lewis quote. Yes, and please leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't, or share us with a friend. Thanks, everyone. Know of our prayers for you. 